going to be talking today about premium BDSM and fetishware and the intricacies of modeling for it. I'm your host, Abigail Div, founder of La Sex Lab and creator of this very podcast highlighting media creators and innovators. In today's interview, we'll explore the following. How did LVX Supply start? How is the style of its product photography different from other brands? Planning fetish and BDSM product shoots? What are the considerations and conundrums? And lastly, what are the new role play collections of LVX? With me today to talk about all her work in creating, designing, and modeling for LVX Supply is founder Rachel Valentine. Welcome, Rachel. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, welcome to the well, Sex Labs podcast. You're a creator who wears many hats at once. Uh, your tools, toys, and accessory company sells to date over 165 items in over 15 categories of specialty lifestyle items. Let's talk a little bit about your background before we go looking into this very extensive collection. You're a designer by trade, a model by chance, and a full-time artist, of course. Uh, what drew you to BDSM and fetish design? Um, so to be honest, mostly uh, it was by chance. Uh, partially had to do with uh, personal interest and proclivities uh, for you know BDSM and kink. Um, but as the brand developed, you know, very early on, um, we discovered that there was a pretty significant gap in the market for luxury handmade fetish items. Um, and after doing a ton of looking, you know, we really couldn't, you know, find anything that filled that need. And both uh, myself and my partner, Michael, the other co-founder of LVX, have a very strong creative drive. Um, so we really wanted to, you know, kind of explore where that could take us, not just in the uh, BDSM and kink sense, but in a creative sense, uh, and see what sort of things we could make and where we could go with that. Well, how did it all get started? What were your first items? Um, so funny enough, the very first LVX items uh, had nothing to do with BDSM. <laughs> they were um, occult earrings. Uh, Michael had got a laser engraver. Uh, and so in the beginning, we were really testing out the capabilities of that machine. Um, and so after the earrings, the laser engraved earrings, um, then it sort of developed into um, more interesting paddle designs. You know, we didn't see, and there are a few more now, but there weren't any particularly unique paddle designs available online either. Um, so we branched into that again with the laser engraver. Uh, and experimenting with different patterns and markings that could be left with these engravings. Um, and then after getting a couple of those underway, we decided to expand into the leather uh, and just kind of see what we could do with that and see how we could, you know, elevate that as well. Um, when you go into, you know, kind of a standard sex shop these days, the leather selection is not particularly awesome. <laughs> um, that high-end market, again, was really lacking. Um, so that was the goal, was to kind of see what we could do with that. And then once the paddles and the leather really took off, um, that's when we really realized that, like, hey, this could be something more expansive. And we really wanted to branch out from there and see what else we could do. Yeah, having a laser engraver sounds like mm -hmm. all sorts of fun. <laughs> 
<laughs> it is. There's a lot. We joke about the house being a sweatshop because the amount of machinery and interesting equipment around here is pretty, pretty extensive. Well, with so many avenues uh, and lines to expand on, how did it develop from the earrings to the paddles to the leather? Uh, was it based on customer response? Yeah, so in the very beginning, it definitely was. Um, even the very first paddles were made for as custom requests. Uh, and that was initially kind of what got the ball rolling for the BDSM side of things. And it's been interesting and a cool process because a lot of uh, customer requests do not only kind of drive our development of new products, but it also kind of helps us narrow down what we do and do not want to create. So we've done quite a number of custom requests that we may not sell as well, but uh, it does help us kind of expand on what we think we might want to do. A great example of that is our uh, padded choke collar. Um, it's pretty easy to find various choke collars online, but we couldn't find any that were padded and a customer asked if we could do it. So we figured out a way to do it. Um, and now it's definitely one of our more popular items. So in the early days, that was definitely a really nice sort of like underlying force to get the ball rolling on certain things. Um, these days we have <laughs> a very expansive list uh, of items that we're working on and trying to develop. A couple times a year, we sit down and kind of take a look and reevaluate and Today, a lot of it also is based on our own creative interpretation uh, of various BDSM items and, you know, pushing ourselves creatively as well. Yeah, so it sounds like a lot of it came from originally customers' functional needs of trying to better the product and the functionality of the product. Uh, speaking of which, uh, fashion versus function, I see in some of your pictures that your products are made to stand up to even the most adventurous levels of play. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, so all of our pieces are functional first and foremost. You know, that's definitely, if it looks pretty, but you can't even tug on it without it falling apart, it doesn't really do much. And it also doesn't meet that high-end standard that we try to set for, for our items. So that was really the challenge is how to make those high-end beautiful pieces also operate the same way and stand up to that rough play for, you know, depending on what it's made for. Um, you know, certainly something like a day collar, the intended function of that is not especially rough play, uh, but something like our behind the back harness is intended for that but in maintaining the same quality standards that we set for ourselves and also for our materials is really the way that we've found to merge those two things. The design aspect of it can be a challenge sometimes because you, know, you want it to look aesthetically pleasing, but also not fail when it comes time to use it. So it, is, it, it can be a challenge, but that's definitely an enjoyable part of the challenge. And thus far, the use of those higher end materials and maintaining a construction standard has really allowed us to meet that balance. 
Yeah, certainly I have seen it be fashion wear, you know, Mm -hmm. where you could go out to a party with the piece if it was a piece like of a harness wear and certain brands make them for fashion purposes, like they're part of your apparel versus functional wear, where you would go to say a sex toy shop and you would buy something that's made to stand the test of time and also Mm -hmm. a fair amount of use cases (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and meeting somewhere in the middle of those two things is, is definitely a challenge from both an aesthetic point of view of how do you make this thing look aesthetically appealing to someone, Mm -hmm. but also that doesn't just fall apart, break, crack, uh, or disintegrate uh, with a a few uses you want, you know, especially based on the price point that your products are based on to also have multi-purpose use. Yep, exactly. And that's the thing, you know, we, we are aware that we charge a premium price and we want to create a premium product that meets that. And so that when people receive it, they feel that value and they appreciate the value that's in it and feel good about the money that was spent. And that's absolutely important to us as well. Yeah. And certainly you've taken it into your own hands to make everything in-house, including your product photography and your modeling and your marketing, all of which have been, are being done by yourself and your co-partner. It's no small task because not only do you have a rather robust catalog of products, but the nature of the products are particularly nuanced to shoot. Uh, specifically for posting on platforms with more sensitive social guidelines. So why did you choose to shoot your own products? Um, So mostly it's out of necessity. You know, it's really just the two of us doing, you know, everything involved for running the business. Uh, And both of us have fine and visual arts backgrounds. Uh, Michael also has done a lot of uh, photography. So, you know, part of it was necessity, (laughs) But part of it was also the ability to have a bit more creative control over the outcome of the photos. You know, we can experiment a bit more. And also, then we have the ability to adapt a bit more quickly and respond based on conversion results. Uh, We've definitely experimented with different photography styles and found out that depending on the platform, some of them just don't convert. So the ability to kind of take that into our own hands and have control over that has definitely been not only helpful, but encouraging of a more sort of flexible mindset uh, when it comes to how we approach those things and trying to adapt and change as needed based on the customer response. Definitely. And you've definitely put your stamp on the BDSM fashion wear line as you've taken the dungeon, if you will, that's black and dark and red and velvet line, and you've literally brought it into the light. Uh, Not only, I would imagine, for practical reasons to showcase the details of the fine craftsmanship of your work, but also to give light to the nature of the products, which are luxury in nature. But I won't put words into your mouth. How would you describe your aesthetic? Yeah, so (laughs) it's interesting to just try to describe. Um, Ultimately, when we were thinking about, you know, what we want our aesthetic to be, how we want our products to look, and really what we want our brand to be, because that's, you know, kind of been the the intention of the mindset uh, for how we develop the company is building a brand, a luxury BDSM brand. And when we were thinking about that, we realized that what we really wanted to do was take elements of luxury fashion and even, you know, more commercial uh commercially recognizable luxury fashion and bring them to the BDSM and kink scene. So 
you know, making things that are modern, timeless, elegant, but also made to last. We really try to make pieces that people covet and blend both traditional and modern materials and techniques. Um, for our impact pieces, we use a lot of exotic woods. So we really try to play with materials and materials that aren't quite as readily available necessarily in the BDSM market. Um, we also strictly use full grain leather for all of our leather products. Don't touch genuine leather. <laughs> um, and it's an interesting topic to get into. Uh, the genuine leather is not actually, it's the lowest quality leather available on the market, which is pretty interesting. It's the it's the split of the cow hide that's closest in to the flesh. So the collagen fibers are much more loose and they tend to disintegrate over time as opposed to full grain leather, which is on the outermost portion of the animal. So this like decision-making behind what materials we want to go for, really choosing the best quality materials we can get our hands on to contribute to evolving what this BDSM aesthetic is and what that can mean. We've found that, you know, that that sort of dark, <laughs> almost kind of gloomy dungeon feel, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, but it can be off-putting to some people. And if not off-putting, it can be intimidating and it can hinder people's ability to really feel comfortable exploring and expressing their kinks. So you know, it's this balance of creating this high-end luxury while also making people feel like that can be them and they don't have to feel that sort of dark cloud <laughs> that can kind of hang over people when they discuss exploring their kinks. Um, we've found that that sort of like lighter product photography, you know, having a website that's not just a stark black background can make people feel more comfortable. Um, and when you feel like you're shopping for a luxury watch, as opposed to shopping for something dark and kinky and adult and explicit, people really allow themselves to explore a bit more. Um, and that's what we want. We want people to be able to let go of the taboo nature that surrounds BDSM and kink. And like you said, really bring that into the light for people. Yeah. It's almost to elevate, literally elevate yes. it outside <laughs> of, outside of the dark um, mm -hmm. and bring it to light and bring it into the mainstream, you know, into, yes. into everyday life, if you will. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. And so that people can feel like, you know, they don't have to feel weird about buying a collar or they don't have to feel this, you know, this pressure of doing something explicit when they want to buy a set of cuffs and that they can feel as comfortable there as they would in any other clothing store. Yeah, this definitely sounds like a, a noble cause to, <laughs> to take on. <laughs> well, great. Let's talk about the modeling for the pieces. They're beautifully designed, of course, but they can be very tricky to shoot as you have items in your catalog from very sheer lingerie just spreader bars, cuffs, stocks, different forms of impact play. Uh, did you do any modeling before starting to model for your brand? <laughs> no, not really. You know, I did uh, 
having gone to art school, I did a few favors for friends in college and, you know, modeled for their fashion projects or photography projects. Um, that's a very long time ago <laughs> at this point. Um, and uh, for a while, I had a personal Instagram and did some experimenting with modeling there and self-portrait photography. Um, but outside of those two aspects, I did not do any modeling beforehand. Um, so it's been a fun sort of adventure, kind of learning how to do that um, and learning how to approach modeling in a more professional setting. Um, but, you know, it's like a number of <laughs> things with our brand, you know, me doing the modeling was also a bit out of necessity, but I'm generally comfortable in front of a camera. I don't feel weird about the subject matter, given that my photos are going to be on the internet for everybody to see. <laughs> so it was a pretty pretty, I say, easy adjustment for me to make in terms of it being, you know, another part of the job. But the physical challenge of modeling is definitely a surprise and has been a fun, another fun aspect uh, to learn and to work through. Definitely requires on-hand experience or rather mm -hmm. real, real life experience to get the skill set behind yes. it, uh, which I think a lot of people don't realize that modeling is a skill and that it does require practice, of course, to hone that mm -hmm. skill in. Um, and it's not an easy one to do, especially when you're talking about subject matter that can be particularly taboo uh, right. for a lot of people who are not comfortable mm -hmm. with it in their everyday lives to then going and, and modeling and, and showing your body off to the world mm -hmm. ostensibly to produce the product that you want, yeah. which is absolutely uh, uh, kudos to you for being <laughs> so open-minded to doing it. Uh, yeah, it, for it sure. takes, as I told anybody, it takes a lot to put yourself out there uh, and mm -hmm. even more so in, in space cases that are less understood. Yes, absolutely. Well, the other thing was that, you know, we, and in my experience with friends who model, you know, I feel models are often underpaid and undervalued for the work that they do. So we also didn't want to, you know, just grab someone and not be able to pay them appropriately for their time or compensate them appropriately. And especially in the beginning, you know, we didn't have that ability. So we didn't want to just, you know, take advantage of someone who was willing to do it without being able to fairly compensate them for it as well. That makes a lot of sense in terms of bootstrapping the, yep. the enterprise, <laughs> you know, you have to make things work and a lot of the resources mm -hmm. end up coming from yourself. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> So speaking of photography, again, do you have a standard setup or formula for shooting your products? We do, um, and it depends on the product. Uh, for impact items, our standard setup is usually um, a pretty light background, uh, light surface that's got some subtle reflection to it, so it can really highlight the materials um, and very good, like thorough lighting to show it off as best as possible. Um, the wearable items are a little bit different, um, and we've kind of been in the past just year or two really experimenting with how we show those off. Um, we also maintain a very well-lit atmosphere, lots of really good lighting to show the product, um, and we do our best to show it as in use as possible or as in use as we can for the platform that we're on. So. You know, aside from the standard front, back, side, you know, we really try to 
express the creativity of the use of the piece as well as much as we can for where the photo will end up. Sure, you're balancing what platform you're putting it on, of course, if there's social guidelines that you have to adhere to, mixed with, of course, the, the need to be able to show the function of the piece and how it actually yep. works, which is a tricky balance between the two things, especially if the if you're showing uh, the naughty bits, uh, if you will, <laughs> of your of your wares, and you can't do that on conventional platforms. Yep, exactly. So there's a lot of um, kind of experimentation that's required um, and a lot of adjusting. You know, we have currently we're on Etsy and we have our own website. You know, Etsy's guidelines are very clear and very specific in terms of what you can and can't show on there. Um, you know, none of our product photography is especially explicit in terms of the content. Um, you know, none of it would be considered pornographic. But when it comes to those things like spreader bars, being able to show what they're for and how you can use them on a platform like Etsy, where, you know, they really limit your ability to do that um, and your ability to show certain things. So finding that balance is definitely a tricky, <laughs> tricky aspect to it. Yeah, showing enough that it shows the, the purpose of the pieces. Mm -hmm. mixed with also making sure you don't get kicked off of a platform is right. like, it's a very delicate balance to play. <laughs> it is, it is. And Etsy has been great. We've had a couple instances where, you know, it's, you know, kind of learning as you go on what they, what they do and don't accept, but they've been responsive in terms of like our questions. So just navigating that has been an adventure <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and definitely the product photography looks like it's gone through its own set of adventures. Uh, it definitely has a character all of its own, like, uh, for instance, your BDSM head harness, where specifically I'm thinking of the images where your face is in the harness and you have your tongue out and your, your mm -hmm. eyes wide open and it's just full of its own nuance to it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. So it's, there's a lot of, you know, we try to put we try to put that character of use into the photos, you know, kind of have that expression. Some of the stocks that are pretty tight around my neck, like exploring that expression as well. So people can really get a feel um, of what it's used for. Um, and some of the pieces are difficult to display that way. You know, that harness um, is meant explicitly for blowjobs it's a blowjob head harness <laughs> and you know it's how do you show people that without actually showing people that um <laughs> and things like our straight jacket dress because when people are scrolling and they only have one image to really take in your product how do you go about showing that appropriately and expressing what that does and even when it comes down to our more simple items because we use those higher quality materials, because they have those unique aspects to them, it's a lot to try to convey, particularly in one photo, just to get that one click so they want to look at the rest of the photos. Sure, sure, yeah, it's kind of clickbait in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to figure out, you do, you have to figure out how, how to be that clickbait for someone so that they want it just in that split second of looking at that photo. Right, and, and you're, as you were saying, matching shooting for fashion and for function. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's 
it's a lot of balance <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, well, what's been the most challenging piece to shoot for you? And challenges could be anything from keeping it PG and social media friendly mm -hmm. uh, to displaying the qualities of the piece and their functional use or conveying their actual use in the image. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the wearables are definitely the most challenging, both because, you know, we have to meet certain guidelines. Etsy is a very popular platform for us, and we're very grateful to be able to sell on there. But it does pose a problem when, you know, I have to hold a spreader bar instead of being clipped into it for the first image. Um, so those sort of creative workarounds to try and help people see what it's for um, without violating any of those rules so we can continue to sell there. And, you know, our website is a bit different. We don't have that. <laughs> we don't have those limitations. So we do present the pieces slightly differently there, but not by a ton because we really want to maintain that same aesthetic. We want someone to be able to see a photo of our product and know it's an LVX item. But we also have found that, you know, sometimes, you know, people find it hard to come up with ways to use the item as well. So different ways to clip the harness pieces together, different ways to use the spreader bar, and even different ways to use things like the paddles, like turning it on its side, not a lot of people think of that provides a much more study experience. <laughs> so some of our paddles have detailing on the side as well and carving on the side so that you can get different kinds of uses out of it. So helping people explore and recognize their own creativity when it comes to the pieces through our photography has also been a challenge as well so that people can, once they get it, they can experience it to its full purpose and its full potential. Yeah, this it does definitely seem to, to mark a challenge in terms of evoking what the purpose of the product is and also giving people, from what it sounds like, the inspiration of how to use it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, great. Lastly, uh, you're working on a few new lines and expanding a few existing ones. Uh, for instance, you have a few pony play items. And there's, as I see, a coming soon on your DDLG and pet play collections. Uh, these fall into a greater or lesser degree into role play genres. What made you go down the road of role play gear? Um, so a couple different things. Um, you know, the technical challenge of making the pieces is always exciting. Kind of like with most of our items, we noticed that there was a pretty big gap in the market for like seriously luxury pony play gear and luxury high-end high DDLG wear. So the real passion behind it comes from the ability to fill a need and fill a void in the market and also test our own, you know, sort of creative talents uh, and maker abilities uh, to put these things together. So it's definitely, you know, an adventure into what people want, learning what people don't want. <laughs> you know, not everything is a hit, but trying to kind of see what we can do to bring something new that someone hasn't seen before uh, and create things that people didn't even know that they wanted. And with the sort of lack of options in those genres, uh, we really want to jump in with both feet and see what we can do to expand on that. Wonderful. Uh, I do see, as I mentioned, the Pony Play has a few 
products in your line? How are you expanding it? So we have a pretty good list uh, and Pony Play gear is pretty far towards the top of it for our upcoming 2021 product development. Um, so we'll be having some full body harnesses. Uh, I'm really excited to make uh, molded leather uh, pony masks um, and really elevate those and do something creative with that. We've got some full bridles underway as well as some saddles. And we're hoping to also start making some uh, hoof cuffs and hoof shoes down the road as well. Oh, that sounds fun. Mm -hmm. Yep. Full, the full get up. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, DDLG and pet playwear? What's on your workbench for those? Yeah. So the uh, more realistic molded leather masks for the pet play uh, is at the top of the list. Um, the there's definitely a market for leather pet play masks. They're pretty common, um, but I've been working on developing a way to mold them so that they have a bit more dimension and realism to them. For the DDLG line, we've got some uh, onesies going. Um, we have really cute onesie underway that we need to photograph and get up, um, as well as things like bloomers and dresses. Um, and we're also looking at getting into some furniture as well. So things like adult sized high chairs um, and desks. Uh, we're kind of trying to figure out where we can start expanding on that aspect of it as well and not just wearable items. Yeah, it sounds like a combination of your fashion wear, if you will, of having mm -hmm. made lingerie and then also some of your uh, expertise in woodcrafting as well, yep. <laughs> <laughs> having done the paddles and that these two combinations of skill sets uh, are coming into now a, a new genre for you. Yep, exactly. Of <laughs> <laughs> and as I harped on before, you're both fashion and function. How are you making these new collections uh, cross-functional? Yeah, so the thing that we always keep in mind is this bar that we've set for ourselves uh, and set for our products. And when I, I truly believe that when that standard is held to, when it comes to the materials, the design and the construction techniques, the blending of fashion and function or aesthetics and function comes together pretty seamlessly. Um, because once you sacrifice any of those aspects, it loses, it loses that blend. And so, you know, really the refusal to sacrifice in a lot of ways um, has been really key to our maintaining that, that balance between fashion and function. Right, uh, that sounds mm -hmm. wonderful. And thank you, Rachel, for joining me today to talk about LVX Supply, modeling for it, and also your new collections. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, if you like what you hear, Please join me again next time for another feature on The Sex Lab.